Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf harte Herzschwanke, kommt und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Guten Tag and welcome to another edition of the Swider Bundesliga podcast. Today, we are back to get the ball rolling. Match day 18 has been and gone and what a match day it was. Thoroughly entertaining to see the teams get the shackles off, rub off all the rust of what has been a long and arduous winter break. And uh, we saw some status quo football results that we expected. Um, maybe an upset or two. But there is one thing for certain is that there is a serious battle at the bottom of the table. It is interesting to see that between 9th and 18th, only four points separates uh, such an amount of... More than half the league is in the relegation battle. And it has been a pretty extraordinary match day of teams catapulting themselves up the table, but still remaining very much in a perilous situation. To help me discuss all the action from match day 18 is well we're gonna to have to talk about their team eventually but she might be happy to just talk about the rest to start with it's Eva Lottebola. Eva good morning to you obviously we will get to what happened at the Alm in group three so in the meantime we can talk about some of the positives it's good to have football back good to have Swider Bundesliga football back yeah, definitely. I mean, um, all fair and square to Bundesliga, um, both um, all women's and men's. So women's starts this week, and again. But um, yeah, I'm, I mean, we're just home in the Zweite Bundesliga, and it's um, yeah, it it was good to see them back, and uh, all the mishaps starting on Friday night already, and um, all the interesting results and things the the Zweite Liga already delivered. Uh, on Friday evening um, up until Sunday. I think we saw um, definitely that some teams might have performed a bit better than we expected. Um, at that point last week where we weren't sure with where some of the teams were kind of standing. Um, I mean, and it's quite interesting if you if you look at the Dritte Liga at the moment, I think we had like tons of coaches that were let go um so we will probably see if this with a like two week delay uh will happen in the Bundesliga Bundesliga as well at some stage um and I mean I think um we had a couple of games where the result maybe wasn't as dominant or as clear as you might have thought uh, in other stadiums could have been more goals as well um, but all in all I think uh, we're all very very happy that the Spider Bundesliga is back and that we finally have a reason to scream and shout and let it all out yes <laughs> yes we do and I think that's a perfect segue to move to our group one game games and we're going to start with the league leaders Darmstadt they hosted Jan Regensburg at the Merckstadion and Ballenford Tour just over 15,500 made their way to hope that Darmstadt would make it 17 games unbeaten 
Or would Jan do what they did in match day one and take superiority? Well, we know that Darmstadt don't need a lot of help this season. This is why they are at the top of the table. And, uh, well, Jan were more than giving, despite Christmas being over a month ago. Uh, a mistake from Maximilian Talhammer. He's dispossessed by Marvin Mellon. Pushes the ball to the to the right. And Braden Manu taps in past debutant Jonas Ubig. Goal number five for Manu, and he would be quite busy in this game because just six minutes later, a long hoof clearance from Darmstadt actually plays Manu in. Scott Kennedy with a, I would say it's a horse collar tackle, very reminiscent in the NFL. In the NFL, that would be a 15-yard penalty, but because Kennedy was the last man, Elvedi was not close enough. A straight red card by referee Daniel Schlager. And five minutes later, Fabian Holland heading home to make it 2-0, and really that was the game. Um, it wasn't a particularly interesting test for Darmstadt, but one that they did pass. They do have some very winnable games coming up, uh, Sandhausen, Braunschweig, and Rostock. And if they can get past those teams, you would think that they're in a very good position to go on with it. For Jan, on the other hand, it was very much the status quo. Poor, very harmless, and obviously hampered by being a man doubt. They have a big game coming up against Armenia Bielefeld on Saturday. Uh, what did we make of the performance from both sides? Because for me, Darmstadt were in pretty much cruise control after the 2-0. Yeah, the game was done and dusted afterwards. I mean, um, Darmstadt didn't do a lot in the second half, didn't, do, didn't need to do a lot. I was very, very dull to watch this game in the second half, in my opinion. It was because obviously Ringsburg couldn't do much. I mean, they didn't have a single shot on target in the whole game. Um, two shots on goal in the first half, two shots on goal in the second half. Um, and Darmstadt was just very, very efficient with, with uh, what they were given. Um, they had two shots on target and they scored both of them. And, I mean, um, this is what you need uh, at this point. I mean, um, it's going to be a very, very long second leg of the season. It's going to be very hard on the players and that on the players' bodies and, and stuff, and on the players' minds as well. Uh, so to have games like this where you know, okay, don't have to invest 100% until the end of the game. It can help, especially if you have the feeling that the, the opponent is not going to use this if you tone it down a bit to score. Uh, because obviously, as you've mentioned, there were one man down um, and really couldn't do a lot. Uh, so I think that was... Um, yeah, it, it was a good result for, for Darmstadt. At the same time, I have difficulties with saying what kind of Regensburg performance that was uh, because it was just very unlucky how they started into the game. But, I mean, this is something... Um, individual errors has been has been some sort of huge, huge problem for Regensburg throughout the season. Um, and, I mean, if you let... Holland score his first goal with the hat ever. I don't. I don't really know. Um, this is probably something that Aminia only would do otherwise. But um, uh, jokes aside, um, as mentioned before, I have once again this is some sort of game where I have problem problems. Sorry, um, really analyzing what that means for both teams going forward. Um, I mean, you've mentioned that Darmstadt has those games against Sandhausen, Braunschweig and Rostock coming up. Um, you would think that they probably 
cannot wait for mistakes like that happen in Regensburg. So they, um, I would like to see a bit more of the really uh, tactics in the game. Uh, that would be something I would look forward. I mean, what we've seen a lot in the game against Regensburg is that they attacked the, the young goalkeeper very, very early and uh, kind of tried him to force uh, mistakes. Um, but I think especially like if you if you look at Sandhausen where you have Drivers and Goal, Kolke for Rostock, Anshwick Fezicism. But you have like, it's a different output. Um, so that's not going to work like that, I think. But at the other hand, on the other hand, Lieberknecht knows that. And um, I'm pretty sure we see, we'll see some sort of difference uh, in their game on Friday night against Sandhausen. Uh, Regensburg obviously has two two important matches coming up with with Bielefeld and Nuremberg, um, and I think this is where their focus lies on at the moment. Yeah, and we'll talk about this throughout the podcast: is how important it is to beat the teams around you, especially when you have such a close table from ninth to eighteenth, where any given week any of these sides could be in the bottom three, two automatic, and then the playoff. So that's why points are so vital. I don't begrudge Erbig in this game. Tough ask for any, you know, young goalkeeper. He's an on loan from from Kern, here to get match experience. They'd obviously felt that they'd run the course with Stojanovic. This is why Erbig got given the the gig. It was a, I would say they're both at fault. Erbig and, and Talhammer for the first goal. It, the pass probably wasn't on, but. You know, uh, Talhammer had two, you know, he had bricks for feet and it was such a heavy touch that Mellon was more than happy to pick it off. So with game experience, it's going to come. But uh, yeah, big ask for, for Jan regardless. Um, Darmstadt did what they had to do. They were busy. As we know, Deadland Day ended yesterday. They added Swiss U21 striker Philip Stoyilkovic uh, from FC Sion in Switzerland for a club record 2 million euro fee. Five goals and 18 appearances this season, and a sentence that I never thought I'd ever utter, he chose Darmstadt over Juventus. That actually happened, I kid you not. Good deal for him, he's there till 2027, um, and could bring some additional firepower along with Philip Tietz and Brain Manu, so that's a good move for both parties. Lots of potential, it'll be interesting to see how they get on. Let's move on to the team that is currently second in the division, that's Hamburger SVL. They welcomed Eintracht Braunschweig on Sunday, to the Volkswagen Stadion, 55,500 capacity crowd found their way to what was a highly entertaining game of football. Plenty of opportunities and plenty of goals, and the goals came quick and fast. Uh, Robert Glatzel opening his account for the new year just three minutes in, and then Moritz Heyer made it two um, just 14 minutes later. His second of the season, I would argue that that should have been saved. This is going to be a glowing theme on Yasmin Fezic's game. He did not have a great game. One thing that was great was the goal from Braunschweig on 30 minutes. Fabio Kaufmann's net-busting, ball-breaking effort from 25 yards out. An absolute peach. And Daniel Hoy Fernandes, who we know has been great this season, he didn't stand a chance. But one thing you can't do against Hamburg is concede goals early in halves. And four minutes into the second half, they conceded to Glatzel once again. This one was almost unforgivable. A pretty straight effort from outside the box. Didn't look like it had a lot of heat on it. Fezic uh, 
very much resembling a Swiss cheese rather than a goalkeeper. Sorry, Yasmin. I still love you. So Glatzel has 13 goals this season. is very much on his way to a really massive total of goals and helping Hamburg on their way. But Braunschweig did keep it interesting. Danilo Weber scored on 81 minutes and they did come close on several occasions before then. But unfortunately, it was all for none because on the second minute of added time, Ludovic Rice scored his fourth goal of the campaign. A 4-2 win and Hamburg keeps in touch with Darmstadt. This was obviously an important game for both sides. Braunschweig hoping to get out of that sort of difficult position. They extended Michel Schieler till 2025 before the start of the campaign, which is a good move for him. But it was obvious from the outset that they didn't have enough in the way of defensive structure to handle Hamburg's diverse attacks. There was one, the combination of Dompe and, and, and Muheim on the left in particular caused Braunschweig plenty of grief. Yeah, and I thought that the biggest problem is that they not only couldn't defend the crosses that came in both from Muheim and Dompe, but actually that they didn't put any pressure on both those players uh you can very well see that for the one nil um and then Glatzer can just free himself too easily in that position and higher is completely free mm. like higher is has so much space in that scene um where i don't really know like this feels so like very very naive mistakes to do um and obviously great goals for braunschweig don't know if it's a plus or uh, well nice to have or whatever that both the goals come came from a distance so they didn't really come into the box that well um what that was my overall impression uh i mean it was good that they took the shots but uh yeah in the end it was it was their mistakes especially in defending uh that really caused them um, yeah, to get maybe even get a point out of this, and I mean, once again, um, I think Glatzer was very happy that Reis probably scored that late goal just to get it done and dusted, um, because he once again had a couple of mistake uh, or a couple of chances, um, that weren't really going into the goal, um, yeah, and I mean, uh. In general, especially in the second half, uh, I really liked how how Braunschweig, after um, the three-one, really tried to stay in the same pace as Hamburg, and so it was a very good game to watch. I think for everyone, um, and I mean, obviously, it doesn't help Braunschweig, but if you compare it um, to the game, like the first day game. Um, last year, I think you can you can see that, especially offensively, they created more ideas. But the thing is, how is it going to be defensively? Um, they play Heidenheim and Darmstadt next. Uh, so we sat this last week. Those first three games are a big one for Braunschweig, and uh, they they probably want to get at least a point out of it. Just if you look at the table. Um, the table doesn't really care who you play. If you lose, you lose. And there will be other teams that win those games. And then you're very, very easily at, at the lower half of the table. Um, and that's 
probably something Braunschweig really, really want not to do. Um, and I mean, as you've mentioned, they fought their way out of this. I mean, we 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 had the feeling that we're gonna be this Würzburg Ingolstadt the inside at some stage. Uh, but I mean, they they proved us wrong, uh, and it's gonna be interesting to see whether they can really hold down the fort. Yeah, I mean, it is. it was always going to be a big ask, and there was a good reason why a lot of us had them in the bottom two. They definitely have certainly more redeemable qualities than some of the other Michel Schieler sides we've seen, like the Würzburg side pretty much, well, he got two games and he was showing the door and then it didn't really work out in Zanhausen. This is why they've extended him for an additional couple of years. They, they definitely gave Hamburg some grief, um, in the attacking third. The issue was obviously, as you've mentioned, either defensively and and, and Fazic in particular just really struggled, wasn't up to the up to the task, and obviously they've got a discussion whether they're going to stick with who is their club captain or they're going to go with Ron Torben Hoffman again. Um, it seems like a pretty big decision is going to have to take place um, because of how poor Fazic was in this particular game, but we'll see what they do um for hamburg could have easily scored more i think defensively to give up the goals from distance is a bit of an issue um however they were able to limit the high quality chances inside the box which is a massive plus um there i had some discussions with a few hamburg fans about who might start alongside shonla we all thought it would be uh montero um so it was a bit of a surprise to see david in at centre-back, but he acquitted himself quite well. Um, but again, that's another thing we'll have to look out for as it goes on. Uh, we should also note that uh, he did play a minute uh, on the weekend, but uh, Hamburg did sign Andras Nemet from Genk. He had one goal in 15 appearances uh, this season, but he is 20, um, came at a pretty relatively cheap fee, signs a, a long-term contract as well. Lots of upside. Hungarian fans are very boyish about what Nemet can bring, not only for Hamburg, but of course the national team in the future. Our final group one game brings us to Heidenheim. They took on Hansa Rostock. Um, this was an interesting game because it was very tight, very cagey, neither team really giving an inch. It was very defensive, um, there wasn't a lot of premium opportunities, it would have to be said. Um, Rostock had a really good spell at the start of the second half. Their best, best, best his their best opportunities were through Dulevic, who uh, had an effort, and then the preceding attempt on goal, which was a, a brilliant cross from Rosbach to Verhoek, but his effort rattled the crossbar. You knew it was going to take something special to break down Rostock, and it would be the usual suspects. A set piece from Jan Niklas Bester finding Tim Kleindienst. He heads in on 18 minutes to make it 1-0, and then Kleindienst finds Florian Pick eight minutes later to sign, seal, and deliver another Heidenheim home victory. It means they remain third. It keeps the gap to those chasing below them, and it also keeps them in the hunt to challenge Hamburg and Darmstadt for the top two. Let's discuss... I feel like this is this seems like a very status quo response here because we know how great Heidenheim are. Doesn't matter who they're playing; they could be playing Darmstadt, Hamburg, they could be playing Rostock or Magdeburg, for example. And 
at home, they seem to be very impenetrable. Another clean sheet at home. Uh, they didn't give Rostock any sort of really, except that one high-quality opportunity. Lots of low-quality efforts. Um, as we progress through the season, we know what we're going to get from them at home. How important do we think that the Voigt Arena will become for Heidenheim as they continue this quest to gain promotion to the Bundesliga? I mean, very um, important, uh, just because we we know how difficult it is for, for other teams to play there. Um, although we have to say that Heidenheim has picked up some uh, points on the road as well. They they showed some... Yeah, they showed a different face, you could say, away from home this season. Um, at the same time, um, this is one of the games where he said uh, before we started that the result doesn't completely show how the game was going on. It's it's very weird to say when the game ended 2-0 that for me personally, personally, it's a goal too much. Mm. Uh, but just Rostock, especially in the first half, they really, really upset Heidenheim just how good they were defensively. Offensively, they didn't really show a lot except that one chance, but um, defensively, I was very impressed on how they really found a way to not let Heidenheim play on their good sides and and use the advantages they have with with players like Bester. Um, obviously, you can't. It, I mean, Heidenheim through set pieces. It's it's just some sort of magic they have, and it's very very great what they they put on the pitch with with set pieces and it's it's very difficult to defend um but yeah i think the for rostock it was still a good game and i mean if they i think we will in in a way we see we, we could see some sort of similar performance offensively at least against hamburg i mean at home with their fans i mean uh, so i think it like 2,000 fans travel to, to Heidenheim. That was uh, huge. Uh, but just offensively, um, I think we will see some, some similar stuff against Hamburg and Darmstadt. I think, once again, the game against Bielefeld is where they want to use their chances to, to actually win. Although we've seen that in Hamburg as a side that could potentially... Um, give Rostock some, some room uh, in a way that in, because they have the possession, so Hamburg has the, uh, obviously the majority of possession Rostock doesn't have to do a lot in that part, uh, so they maybe can break through a bit easier um, but yeah, that's going to be the thing they're going to look out for uh, in the end obviously deserved win for Heidenheim but just really pointed out that I thought the first half by, by Hansa uh, was really did impress me yeah I mean the thing that we've kind of had to speak about with Rostock is the sort of that lack of stability they've gone through a lot of different pairings defensively because they've had issues and you know but their actual way record is quite solid they've, they've been able to pick up you know, three wins and two draws from their nine games on the road. So they did, they were able to give them quite a good battle. Just the issue 
has been the goal scoring. They are one of the teams that really struggles to put the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, only Nuremberg, who we'll touch on in Group 3, have can, have scored fewer goals this season. And maybe there was a thought they might be active in the window to try and bring in some additional attacking support. But obviously, they didn't in the end. Um, and they are going to have to rely on the likes of Vohok to find his goal-scoring magic that he produced last season. And, and you know, Prug has been good for them. So they're going to have to find other outlets if they're going to be great. Heidenheim, on the other hand, yeah, they, they, they'll feel really good about themselves. They've got Braunschweig on the weekend, but the real test for them will be on the 11th against against Hamburg um, in the, uh, the that primetime fixture. They'll really feel like they're a good chance in that one as well and, and to, to really eat into that deficit they are chasing. Let's take our first break, and on the other side, we'll discuss our Group 2 games, and we're going to start with the primetime Saturday night fixture with Hanover and Kaiserslautern. When these two sides met on match day one, we saw an epic encounter where Kaiserslautern won it late to take the first three points of the new year. Given a primetime slot, and this was bound to be an epic game, 36,800 made their way to the Heidsford Heidner Inn, with over 8,000 of those being passionate Kaiserslautern fans who made the long journey north to see their team play. No Stefan Lytle on the sideline for Hanover, he was suspended. He was in fact in the radio commentary box, told to be quiet and watch the game in silence. Andre Mijatovic was the coach for the day, and he would have been thrilled to see Hanover have a strong start in the first half, captivated by the goal by Derek Kuhn on 17 minutes. His effort at the near post, too good for Andreas Luter, but one would argue that Luter should have done much better. First time we also saw the gritty find its way to the Zweite Bundesliga. Whether you love it or not, it's here to stay. Thank you, Justin Jefferson. But in the second half, it was a completely different game, and it was all Kaiserslautern for the taking. They scored four minutes into the second half, thanks to Nulia Niehaus. Initially, potentially not given, but correctly given as a goal, maybe. We're not so sure. It might have been a push, but... A good goal given by Sasha Stiegemann and the crew. Uh, on the 66 minutes, it was 2-1 for the visitors. Uh, Henrik Suk with an excellent, delicate ball in. The defense completely lulled to sleep. And Terence Boyd was more than happy to get his first goal of the new year and his ninth of the season. As Hanover pushed for the equalizer, they came tantalizingly close through Henrik Vidant. His header was on target for a goal, but Luther atoned for his error and produced a game-saving effort. Just moments later, the game was all but gone when Kaiserslautern made it three. It was a good clearance from Lauten. Lorbinger plays the ball on, and Philip Herker, who just completely just blitzed through the Hanover defense like they were standing still, thus the fresh legs. Uh, Zeela caught in no man's land, and Herscher made it three for the season, three for Kaiserslautern. And three valuable points for Dirk Schuster's side. What an outstanding game. There goes my emails. Um, it was an excellent primetime game. We know that sometimes we get some pretty drab affairs. This one, very entertaining. Very much a tale of two halves. But one thing is for certain that Kaiserslautern once again found a way to take the three points. As they've done so often this season. Yeah, and I mean, it was... A lot with thanks to Hanover. I mean, especially the the first two goals. I mean, the the third one, in a way, I mean, is understandable. 
it's a very typical late in the game uh, one team puts everything forward and then can't really secure the counter-attack. The last two goals, um, you had, first of all, you had Trezordi too far away from Nii, who's who obviously it was a, his first goal, but still shouldn't happen. Or whatever they did for the Boyd goal, I have no idea, but it didn't really look like defending, in my um, opinion. Um I mean, in a way, it was, uh, you could really, really see that Kaiserslautern grew up a bit compared to their first game, which you just spoke of. But um, yeah, all in all, I thought that, yeah, they just looked a bit more mature in this game mm-hmm. than, than Hanover did. Um, they look, they kind of, they kind of still know that they have nothing to lose because if they enter, the, the season in seventh place, it's probably a bit disappointing, but it's nothing that will really like tear them into pieces um, because their first goal was to stay in the league at all. For Hanover, um, the pressure will always be a bit higher um, in games like this. And I think you could see that um, in this game once again. I mean... Um, I, th- I thought, especially in the second half, it was just less than what they offered. And I mean, there were, especially in the first half, there were moments where they could have easily scored the second goal, um, but they didn't. And I mean, it had a lot to do that accuracy was missing, that, um, I, I, for example, I remember, that I think that Toy had shot as well, mm. uh, was just not on target enough. And um, obviously, in the end, you had that save by Luther against Vaidant, um, which really yeah, was probably the key moment in the end for both teams. Um, and I think we probably have to touch on, if we speak about Luther, there were some comments or some horrible messages that mm-hmm. were sent to him after the game. A Hanover fans, Hanover already intercepted because Luther made it official. Um, not with the messages, but just saying that his life and the life of his family was thre- threatened. Uh, and Hanover said that they're in contact with uh, with Luther and they're going to find out who that was. Um, and I think once more, um, I think every one of us is at some stage just disappointed about the result. But nevertheless, if it's targeting your own players or your opponent's players, it's never okay to threaten someone's family. Or just to threaten someone in general, um, especially not on social media, uh, when you like hide behind an anonymous name or something like that. Uh, that's never okay. Um, as mentioned before, we I think we've all been at that point where we are very frustrated, but um, there are way better ways to show that you're not fine with something that happened and... Um, then especially to threaten a goalkeeper just because he saved the ball, which is basically his job as the opponent's keeper, is so ridiculous and so says a lot about the character. Mm. So, um, yeah, obviously sympathies for Andreas Luther at the same time. Um, good reaction by Hanover uh, to immediately call Luther and trying to handle that. Obviously difficult with with social media and online profiles, but um, yeah, I do hope 
that there will be some consequences. Yeah, absolutely. I can't fathom what, like, what goes through the mind of an individual to think that it's okay. Like, at the end of the day, we like we love football. We love everything that it can bring to the table. But it is a game. This is not a life and death situation. You know, as much as we, you know, we bemoan when our team lets us down, or lets the, you know, we don't win, or whatever the result may be, it's never okay to, to put other people in a situation that's totally uncalled for. It's just unnecessary. It's like those same people who, you know, got professional athletes because it cost them a bet on a sports betting app. Like, who cares? it's your problem that you chose to bet on a game and you didn't win. That's not their fault. They're just doing what they're paid to do. And in Luther's case, it's to stop the ball going in the back of the net. And he did that. So tough luck. Honestly, I don't have time for stupid people, very stupid people like that. Cause it took, it took, took away from, it was a very good Kaiserslautern performance. I really love what Boris Tomiak did as well. Playing as a number eight in that double pivot with Nihus. They were brilliant. And um, yeah, one thing that we haven't talked about is Kaiser Sutton's excellent away form. Only team in the division yet to lose five wins, four draws. Um, that is, they've leapfrogged Hamburg, but Hamburg have got a game less than them. So very, very, very good. Uh, Hanover, they've got St. Pauli on Sunday. Kaiser Sutton have Holsten Kiel on Saturday. Both really good games to go and see. Now, let's make a move to the Wildpark. Karlsruhe and Paderborn. This was one of the Friday evening games. Just over 17,000 made their way to see a very tight and tense affair. Two sides that were desperate to get back to winning ways. Of course, Paderborn entered the second half of the season on a four-game losing run. Karlsruhe winless. uh, And what seems like for quite a while, they're five games without a victory. They had that 4-4 draw. Uh, in a game they probably could have won, but they also could have lost it. This game was tight. We looked like uh, Paderborn had opened the scoring in the first half through Robert Leipertz, but it was ruled to be offside. Both teams kind of traded chances. I thought Jana Kut was really good in this game, denied Van Etzek on multiple occasions. Um, and it certainly seemed as if the game was heading to a 0-0 draw. It certainly seemed as if that, you know, points were going to be shared. Neither team was going to be particularly happy. Um... But with not long remaining in the game, Sebastian Klaus plays the ball through. It is such a fine line. You could have chucked a toothpick. One of my hairs remaining, remaining hairs. That's how tight it was. Robert Leipertz is in. The defense is scrambling and Leipertz scores. Goal number eight of the season. Lucas Krasniak was pumped. Paderborn was pumped. And the fans that were there were pumped to see that SCP took a vital win in this fixture. It means that they move up to fifth, three points behind Kaiserslautern, um, and very much still in the hunt, but they will need a lot to go their way for Karlsruhe. They are now very much entrenched in this battle, dropping down to 15th and only one point above the teams in the bottom two. This is going to be a pivotal few weeks. We're going to talk about Karlsruhe because the next three games are massive for them. And this could very much determine whether or not Christian Eichner remains in a position we thought maybe 
He could be in a bit of strife after their recent run heading into the winter break. He survived. We talked about St. Pauli. We'll talk about them in the next group. Timo Schultz did not survive. This is not the start they were wanting. And now they're in a serious... I, I, I would say this is crisis mode for, for them. And they haven't been in crisis mode since the prior administration, Elias Schwartz, was in charge. They look a bit lost... They had moments, but really, they need help. And who knows if the new reinforcements are going to help. Yeah, and I mean, in this game, I mean, they they had their chances, but they were all harmless. <laughs> like, in both halves, you had a one chance by uh, Zimuna Gap, which you, you thought, okay, maybe, but it was still too, like, was very clear on on Hood. Uh, the ball was targeted on Hood. No problem for him there. Um, and I mean, the, they didn't do a lot. Like, especially as soon as they came close to the box, everything they did in midfield, like when they recovered the ball, intercepted, um, because Paderborn made mistakes, but Karlsruhe just didn't do anything with it. And that was very worrying from an outsider perspective. Um, and especially towards the end, it looked like if there's going to be a team that's going to win, it's going to be Paderborn. And I mean, they they look more dangerous. They, um, especially in the like, last 10 minutes, um, they just looked like they could do a bit more um i think it's probably not the game they were hoping to come out of that negative spiral i mean it wasn't a clear answer to that uh they had a very very unlucky game last night against stuttgart um but still then i mean um They weren't good in that game. So, I mean, they had it coming and it's completely fine against the Bundesliga team. Um, but I'm still not sure whether they fully recovered um, mm. from that November, October period. Um, but I think most importantly, they, they got the three points and I think they deserve to get them. If you just quickly look at the XGs, um, Bundesliga says... Um, 0.67 to 1.07 and 538 is um, uh, 0.7 to 2.2 even. So it's even a bit more clearer for, for them. Um, didn't really see that that 538 thing, but I I do see the, the, the Bundesliga side in a way. Um, because Kaiser had more shots on target, but I think it's very, like, it, it didn't really look that dangerous to me personally. And the the four shots Paderborn had just looked much more well-targeted, especially through life pets. And then, if needed, obviously, you had Hood and Kroll. Um, and then, obviously, maybe it's the, the offside goal that counted a bit into that as well uh, for for Paderborn, which was obviously a correct decision. But yeah, all in all, um, I would totally agree that Karlsruhe is still on the brink of crisis. Um, and they really, really need to to fix that ASAP. And I'm 
always not sure what much sense it makes to add players after the first match day was played and you had two and a half mm. months yeah. to kind of train so and, and to practice and implement new things so that's why I'm always a bit a bit maybe skeptical on the other hand Jill Diaz who was just like had one training with Stuttgart scored yesterday against Paderborn so maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just wrong and don't know a lot of football <laughs> oh that's called hitting the ground running the striker that Eva was alluding to is Georgian Budo Zivzivatse I got to give that a few takes sorry um it's a tricky day. Um, who, who came in on the dead, uh, the deadline day, two-year contract for him. Comes from Hungary. Well, he's been playing his football in Hungary, has the uh, the Georgian striker. But yeah, obviously, you'd rather get that sort of deal done well before the... Um... <laughs> Sorry, I've lost my shot. Um, before, the, before the end of the window. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he, he might want to hit the ground running being that um, Magdeburg, Fürth, Zanhausen are their next three all games that they have to take something out of. Otherwise, we could see a change. Uh, Paderborn did make a signing. He started yesterday. Bashir Humphreys is on loan from Chelsea's U21s. The connection is their new sporting director, but sporting director, I've lost the plot. Benjamin Weber, uh, who also joined from Chelsea, and he's done a very good job so far in his short tenure. Not to be... Uh, Confused with the other Benjamin Weber who could be taking over at her to BRC. So there are two of them, apparently. What are the chances? Now let's move on before I uh, start to make any more missteps and the uh, the manager of this podcast will have to call for a substitute. Uh, Fortuna Dusseldorf took on Magdeburg on the other Friday night game and this one was much more easier on the eye and it started in really entertaining fashion. It seemed as if... Dusseldorf were not going to get a penalty when Cristiano Pacini fouled David Kovnatsky in the box, but it was clear as day that was a foul. Penalty given. Would the pole, who is set to leave at the end of the season, make way with his chance? No. In fact, he would miss the target with a XGF's 0.77 chance of scoring from the penalty spot. He missed absolutely everything. And to add insult to injury, just a minute later... Magdeburg would take the lead. Look, Castanos inside the box. It was a bit of helter-skelter, and the ball fell to Moritz Quasi-Boateng. And Boateng took full advantage, 1-0. But their lead lasted all but three minutes. As we know, Magdeburg's, Magdeburg's defense has been absolutely awful, and they was on full display in this game, because three minutes later, Kovnatsky would make up for his error and put the ball into the back of the net to make it 1-1. He would make it two just before the break. A horrible mistake um, in that sort of fu- uh, first third. Uh, the ball came straight to Kovnatsky, who hit it one time, and he beat Raymond, and it was 2-1 at the break. The theme of this game was badly defended goals because Dusseldorf weren't shy of this either. Uh, their mistake again on 59 minutes. It was Boateng again to make it 2-2, and then... As it seemed like a draw was inevitable, Shinta Applecamp, who was outstanding in this game, uh, he beats Riemann at the near post 
to make it 3-2. Five goals in the seasons for Appelkamp. Three important points for Dusseldorf. They move up to sixth and they break a two-game losing run. Whereas Magdeburg, it's three defeats on the bounce. They are now officially at the bottom of the table. This was this was this was a great example of two teams who looked rusty, ready to make mistakes. The the bright the lights shine brightly on Friday nights, and it became pretty clear early on that both defenses were in a very giving mood. The penalty, a lot of helter skelter ball, but it, despite all of that, I think it would be fair to say that that Dusseldorf were more than worthy of taking the three points. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and I think there's one thing we really have to discuss because, my, like, um, the whole discussion was whether it was a penalty mm. or it should have been a red card and a free kick. I think just from how I got it, because the foul continues mm. in the box, yep. um, and I think a couple of years ago this would have this wouldn't have mattered because it would have mattered where the foul started. Well, I think if I understood it correctly, mm. um, because the foul ends in the box, it's yeah. a penalty. Mm. Not not sure what why I would think about this rule, but I think it's not like the foul starts and begins before the box. And I think that's the difference because the foul does go on mm. in the box, which l- leads to Kovnatsky, um, or yeah, not to to yeah to fall down um i mean the penalty was very badly executed so that <laughs> doesn't really matter in the end probably uh but yeah i mean it was um it, it was a weird game um a friend of mine said uh, it has nothing to do with football <laughs> so it was quite funny um i, I did like um Especially as Fatley in this game, although obviously he he had his yeah things to say about the um, I think the 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 two one where he um, is too far away as well. Mm. Um, but yeah, all in all, I think uh, I, I liked how Magdeburg tried to intercept uh, whenever Dusseldorf wanted to build up their 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 game um i like that in the end especially in the second half um it was it was a deserved one for fortuna Düsseldorf. especially felix laus really wanted to mm. to get a goal um heba had um a different opinion about this two saves on the line mm. um for he he kind of wanted to make up for his mistake in the first half probably um really yeah, showed why Magdeburg wanted him from Essen. Um, yeah, but as you've mentioned, deserved win for Fortuna Düsseldorf. Should the upper come if you might might have wondered who he runs towards to after um, he scores. He promised the translator uh, a goal, and this is who he hacked. Um, I think for Paderborn, uh, this game against Paderborn is going to be huge uh, for Dusseldorf, the game against Paderborn. I think we both have to be we, substituted at yeah. some stage. <laughs> um, uh, and, yeah, in a way, also, the the, the Fürth game, because Fürth is still that side where we don't really know where we should put them towards the end of the season. Um, 
And in spite of Bundesliga, let's be cheesy, every game is important. Um, but obviously there, there are games where you have to prove yourself a bit more. And I think it's quite quite, yeah, safe to say that they shouldn't let something happen like the 2-2. Because this was the most ping-pong oh, yeah. goal I've, I've seen in a while. Yeah, I mean, both the goals they conceded were a bit ping-pong. They couldn't clear once Castanos was on the deck. And, like, Kvartang was the first response. And the second one initially saved. It was No, it hit the post. Then saved into Kastenmeier. And then a third a third go-around eventually wielded the reward. Um, but, yeah... I think this is this has been the thing with Magdeburg all season. Like we're all impressed with the things that they can do, but God, defensively they are just awful, and they make a lot of bad individual errors. Even despite the fact that they had two goal line clearances in the second half, and they were they showed great desperation to keep the game at two two. You just felt at some stage they were going to to cough it up, and and they did. And Another important game, they got Kalser at home, Kiel away, and then St. Pauli at home. Three really important games for them, and, you know, points are of the essence for them, and if they can't take them, they are going to be in real strife. Let's take our final break before the manager decides to pull Bollies. We've lost the plot now. Before they pull both of us, and we're going to start with the Max Morlock Stadion, it's Nuremberg and St. Pauli. Two sides who are in desperate, desperate, desperate need of three points are Nuremberg and St. Pauli. St. Pauli, new manager in charge, Fabian Hürzler, getting his first crack at first team head coaching. That is an interesting choice of words, Matthew. Um, against a Marcus Weinsil coach side that, uh, well, they haven't really done a lot to improve. Their biggest issue, of course, is being... Fragile in front of goals. 16 goals heading into this game after 17 games. The best way to describe them for me is they are very much a dog with a lot of bark, but no bite. And they showed that once again. They were very good in the first half. They created a ton of half chances through Florian Flick, who made his Nürnberg debut. Christoph Daferna, quite a doer. Jan Jimmerer had the best opportunity in that first half. Um, but the actual best chance of the game... Happened on 33 minutes. The soon-to-be-departing Lerd Pacarada. Well, you already know what he's about to do. A wonderful whipping left foot effort into the box. And he finds the head of Yakov Medic. Who I'm sure would have been all too pleased to score against one of his former employers. Fabian Nürnberger was the man in charge of man marking a much taller, a much stronger, and a much more better aerial player. In Yakov Medic. His header dusting the palms of Vindal, but the ball trickles into the back of the net. That was the only goal in this game because, you see, Nuremberg had a ton of opportunities. 23 shots on goal, in fact. And in most cases, good teams, or teams that have got a goal scoring record that is at least middle of the range, are going to at least convert one of these chances. And I would love to give Nikolai Vasil all of the credit. But that doesn't seem just because, to be honest, Nuremberg were utterly wasteful in the final third and they contributed to their own defeat once again this season. Yeah, and especially the second half by Nuremberg was, um, yeah, let's be nice, say dull. 
I mean, all of their four shots on target in this game mm. came in the first half. Um, they had plenty of shots on goal in the second half, but they just didn't really do anything with it, to mm. say the least. Like, it, it wasn't, as you mentioned, for C it was good on goal, but yeah, it was Nuremberg as we know them. Under Weinstein, even before that, so nothing we weren't really expecting. I mean, for Zagpali, it was great because we just talked about it last week that they haven't won away from home and that we weren't sure whether they're going to make it. Um, I have to say there's still a lot of question marks, especially in the first half where Zagpali had the major- majority of possession. I mean, they had the overall possession, but they, they didn't really know what to do with it and um they did improve in the second half and kind of got to deserve that that win in the second half in my opinion like that they kind of did a bit more uh there um yeah otherwise i think um it was uh yeah it, it was not a good game to watch, <laughs> just just to say that. I mean, both teams had their moments, but overall, um, it's it's Nuremberg as we know it. They still have the same problems, and I'm still not sure where it will lead them. And it seems like when we talk about Karlsruhe being on the brink of crisis, I think Nuremberg is a is a bit closer walking that plank. I mean, in fairness, they've already walked the plank, fallen in, got back into the boat with a different captain, and it feels like we are very much in... We're in the same terrible waters. It's choppy, conditions are stormy. It is not all sunshines. It is not always sunny in Nuremberg. That's that's definitely been the case for them, season, for them this season. Um, St. Pauli doing the job. It was great to see Connor Metcalf get a start. Now, a lot of fans in Australia were very thrilled to see Metcalf get the start. He only played 59 minutes before he got injured. But, um, yeah, it definitely seems like Hutzler might rate Metcalf a bit more than Timo Schultz, which is great for the great for the, um, great for the program, great for the Australian program. So that's always great to see. Both teams have massive games coming up. Nürnberg uh, away at Greuther Fürth, the Frankenland Derby. Uh, that's a massive game without even having to talk about the reasons why, based on the table, these two teams just don't like each other. And uh, St. Pauli, they are at home. they got Hanover. Um, they'll be hoping to make it two wins on the bounce. Right, now we have to get to the hard part. That's uh, Armenia Bielefeld's game with Zanhausen in front of 18,300. Um, it became maybe apparent early on, prior to the game, that Bielefeld could be hamstringing themselves. Players like Lipanitsa, Okugawa, who've been both really good for Bielefeld, were left on the bench, which surprised a lot of people. So then it became no surprise when they gave up the first goal, just 13 minutes in. Uh, David Kinsombi's initial effort is saved by Martin Freisel, but it just comes straight to his brother Christian, who taps in to make it 1-0. It became two just... 20 minutes later, Alexander Esfine, who was very good in the first half, non-factor in the second, much like Sandhausen in the in the final third. He puts it in to make it two, and it became a bit of a gloomy scene at the Shuko Arena. Bielefeld did get a goal back, 
in stoppage time of the first half. Andreas Andrade getting his first goal of the campaign from a set piece. And whilst Bielefeld huffed, and they puffed, but they did not blow down Sandhausen's house in the second half. The game ended 2-1. A massive, massive win for Sandhausen. They win. It puts them up to 12th. They started the match day rock bottom. Bielefeld dropped back into the bottom two. They are 17th. And they have, both teams have massive games coming up. Eva, you were unfortunately there to see what was a very dire game from the hosts. I obviously we can we can make the argument that they made a, that Daniel Scherning made a significant error in judgment with some of the team selections, um, which may seem like a rather fair assumption to leave your leading assist getter and one of your sort of bulls in midfield for someone that has really struggled to get up to speed this season and someone who um, has really struggled, has has all the technical ability, but actually give him the ball and he seems to forget how to play the game. It seems frustrating as a fan that this team in many ways actually contributed to its own downfall and it certainly played out that way. Uh, yeah, and I mean, the, the I think the biggest problem um, on on hand is that is the communication because in the press conference before the game, Shane was like, um, "We can use every player," and then Okugawa sits on the bench, Lepinita sits on the bench, and um, yeah, there were were talks in in the local press that, for example, Ramos was number four in um just from tra- training outlook and everyone they've seen he played i mean it wasn't a big game but what ramos always does that at some point he starts to randomly shoot the ball up in the sky um and he does this like three or four times in a game doesn't really help um then obviously for me lipnita is the clear number one before manuel prito and I think a lot of people would agree because Manuel Prito just doesn't seem to have the confidence anymore that he, he had back in, in his Zweite Bundesliga games when we got promoted. Um, and then obviously, I don't I didn't really get this whole, he subbed out both both left and right wings with, um, or left and right defender with, Ochipka and Klünter to then put uh, Theo Carbonu, who just got in, played his debut, played 20 minutes on the left side, to put him on the right side, get George Bello on, have a three in the back with the Pineta, or like three to five, depended on whether they had the ball or were against the ball. Um Lassma played through. I have no idea why, because then you had Klaus and Serra up front, and Lassma's balls in, into the box were horrible. You had the one chance where Bello just... I don't know what he does. It's not a shot on goal. So, yeah, it, was, it wasn't a good performance. Ironically, they had more shots on goal and shots on target, but they did do nothing with it. And for Arminia Bielefeld that I can say after that game, oh, we were most dangerous through set pieces. Why? Like, I mean, good thing that they finally learned that they finally get Ia Gruif out of their heads. But honest to God, especially if you look at how they, yeah, what they did defensively, they're, I mean, 
you have to say Zandhausen was very bad as well. I was really, really annoyed from them lying on the ground for like most of of the time. Um, really killed everything that could happen in this game. It was just very annoying to watch and very annoying that Nicolas Winter was happy to jump on every opportunity uh, to take that, uh, especially both the Kinsami brothers and Esvine did that a lot, which I thought was very unnecessary. Um, yeah, and as mentioned, Zandhausen didn't have to do anything. It was very similar to the to the game back in July, where Zandhausen didn't have to do anything uh, as well, where they where they weren't necessarily the better team, but it was enough um, to give them all three points, and that's something that should not happen. Um, and this is what we said, what I said back in uh, November uh, after they got off two wins that I'm a bit sceptical about how they're going to restart the season. And they definitely, I mean, I said this off air, they definitely have to win uh, against Regensburg on the weekend and they can't lose against Rostock um, because afterwards they play against Hamburg and Heidenheim uh and right now, I didn't see how they get any points out of that, especially. Um, and I like, I just don't want to pinpoint it on one player, but with Emmanuel Priedel in midfield, who is just more of an insecurity than he is some sort of safety net. Um, and I don't get that. I especially don't get that a, a coach says afterwards in a press conference, well, we just were a bit unlucky and why? And like, no, you were bad. Like, you you were probably not the worst team on the pitch, but you were the one that lost. And this is what happens then. Yeah. And, and look, the, in these situations, I, I have empathy for the player who is obviously just trying to do what he can. But if it's clear to everyone that that particular individual shouldn't be on the pitch to start and, and however for however long, then maybe there is obviously something else going on in the back in this in the background where clearly there's well there is definitely something going on. It just does there's something something wrong and no one's really willing to make a uh, smart judgment on whether they could fix the issues and uh, this is why Bielefeld are in the situation that they are Sandhausen on the other hand you know didn't have a shot in the second half once they got to 2-0 they were more than happy to completely shut the shop early and just hope that they could hold on and and even though they conceded just before the break um, 10 shots to 0 in the second half in favour of Bielefeld and Bielefeld did not get I go. This is, yeah, it's dangerous times. Another team that may be having a repeat crisis, um, but you know, a win obviously can change a lot of mindsets. Let's make our final game of the match day: Tolstein Kiel and Greuther Fürth. Fürth entered the break unbeaten in four games under Alexander Zorniger, whereas Kiel were hoping to ensure that they weren't roped into this epic ten-team relegation battle, this Royal Rumble. They didn't do themselves any favours in the uh, in the first half, and not one that the goalkeepers' union will take too proudly. When Furt took the lead, it was a Damian Mikowski header that should have been comfortably claimed by Tim Schreiber, but no, 
He makes an absolute howler. It fumbles out of his gloves. And Dixon Abiyama scores his first goal in 615 days in league play. It couldn't have been any easier. And for someone who hasn't scored in a while, he was more than happy to take it. But Kiwa much better in the second half. And their recipe for success was balls into the box. And they did that with great success in the first section of the second half when they took an evil, an evil, equal pegging in this game. I have lost the plot. Help me, please. Um, Fabian Reese's initial cross missed everyone, but Steven Skripsky put in the hard yards to keep the ball in play, and he puts in a wonderful ball into Hulkaval, who smashes the ball home to make it 1-1 just seconds into the second half. In a game that was kind of toing and froing, it would be Kiel that would get the victory. Again, this another set, another play into the box. Marvin Schultz this time with an excellent corner and Simon Lorenz with an excellent finish. Considering his limbs were all over the shop, the fact he got great connection to beat uh, Andreas Linder was fantastic. Three points for Kiel. It's a great situation for them. They're seven points clear of this Royal Rumble and they're equal on points with Hanover and very much potentially in the mix to make something happen, or if not, cause chaos, which we love to see. So Kiel now unbeaten in their last four. Furt succumbing to their first defeat. I don't think Furt played too badly. They were very level, it seemed, for a lot of the game. And, and you could almost make an argument that 1-1 might have been a fair result, but their defending for crosses did become suspect, and in the end, they were found out. Yeah, I would fully agree. And I mean, I think it's something that Alexander Toninga wasn't probably not really happy about um especially the way how they lost it um and they yeah i mean um for for keeling was the perfect start into the second half it was it was they needed um i thought especially not not only the the defending of of val in that situation but that um yeah they completely left Skripsky alone. I mean, even Reza thought the ball was already going out or was kind of demanding uh, a corner um, for Kiel. Uh, but yeah, it, it didn't really... I think it was Marco Jorn who, who doesn't really go full in on Skripsky and that's why the ball finds Haukaval. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and especially the six yards box was 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 Afyut's problem uh in this game and um yeah it doesn't like i mean it's it's something i think Taniga kind of wanted to point out that there's still a lot to do and that um like it's going to like they they have to be careful on how they ended the year under him and i think this is like this is what we know about the spider bundesliga that coming out of a break is a very vital um yeah point in both promotion and relegation fight uh because it can really determine how it's going forward and it doesn't really matter what you did um before it really matters how you get out of because there are always teams that will happy to take your place and will push you uh in their place uh and yeah i mean obviously not only because of prestige but table situation the, the derby is going to be huge um but yeah also the game against Karlsruhe for Fjord 
and uh, yeah, for Kiel, they're, they're in this weird midfield position still. So every game for them is kind of on eye level, which is kind of weird. Um, but especially the three games that are coming up, Kaiserslautern is a bit above that. Magdeburg and Braunschweig obviously below, but it, it like it for Kiel, it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> No, but what it does mean is for the first time in 10 years, they actually won their first Rookrunder game. 2012 was the last time they did it. They actually... It's been a long time for them to taste success, so they were very happy to to actually start the year with a victory. Very kudos to them. Um, as we mentioned, they've got um, Kaiserslautern on Saturday, which should actually be a really, really good game. Uh, for those who are looking for their world feed fixing, fixtures, fixings, fixings, God, what is going on? Uh, two games are being shown, uh, for the world feed Friday night. It's going to be Paderborn and Fortuna Dusseldorf. And then on Sunday afternoon, it is St. Pauli and Hanover. Um, that are your world fixtures, world feed fixtures. Check your local listings and guides to see if it's available in your country or territory. Uh, we should talk about our kick tip, which it seemed everyone was feasting, despite how challenging we um, we thought the match day might be. Match day 18 was actually quite a heavy scoring week. I think I had 15 and lots of people were in the high teens. Um, but one fella in particular, Han Gabor, or Gabor, as he's affectionately known, uh, a Fortuna Dusseldorf fan, he was champion for the match day with 22. Unbelievable. What a cracking score that is. Congratulations to you, sir. I tip my metaphoric cap to you. And um, that's it for us. We have struggled our way through a grueling podcast session. We apologize that we weren't perfect, but we'll try to be better next time. We hope you all have a fantastic weekend of Svider Bundesliga football, and we hope you will join us next Wednesday when we discuss all the action from Match Day 19. Until then, have a fantastic time, and we'll see you then. Mm-hmm.